Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, host as always. Today, we have a special guest, Rob Kazmark, CEO of Spirit Juice Studios. Rob is a self-taught filmmaker and a passionate Catholic who found his calling in 2004. He realized film was a powerful medium for spreading the gospel. Under his leadership, Spirit Juice has become an Emmy Award-winning international sensation. Based in Chicago and a father of two, Rob still actively engages in cinematography and directing. And I've asked him to join us here today to share his story and help us all tell better stories. So, Rob, thank you so much for joining us, my friend. How are you doing? Good, Daryl. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. Yeah, we've had some good laughs. I admire his beard. If you can see it, it's a lovely beard. So how? I'm making me feel like good thing I didn't shave last night. At least I got a little something. Otherwise, I'd feel, yeah. feel emasculated here right now. No. <laughs> so before we hop into storytelling and some of your accomplishments, can we go back to even the beginning? Because it's not easy to forge a path as a filmmaker to profit from your art. How did you even get into this avenue? Do you have a background in marketing and sales? Were, you, were your parents entrepreneurs? Is this somehow, was there a family business to help you develop some of these skills? Yes. Yeah, short answer is Yes and no. So my dad is a blue collar. He he was a worked for Commonwealth Edison, which was like a, they provide electricity in the states, and then became a police officer. So very blue collar. But on the side, he would always kind of just do little small side businesses, buy and resell cars, or just had a little popcorn thing. And so he always had something going. He had a little entrepreneurial spirit, but with the normal sort mm. of like stability of blue collar. On my mom's side. All of her brothers and sisters own businesses. So I think there's something in the blood. I don't know if it's the Italian right. blood or what. And so at an early age, my first job was, if you want to consider it my own business, but it was me walking around the neighborhood and uh, knocking on neighbors to either uh, cut their lawn every week or to, when it snowed, I was, I always got so excited as a kid because when it snowed, that means I could make money. And so to show <laughs> driveway, because my parents were what I really appreciated, although when I was little, not so much, is if they said, if you want something, you got to work for it. So the answer was never like, okay, I get this. It was never no. It was like, sure, if you pay for it. And I just thought of Love ways it. to make money. And and so that's kept going as I got older. I had a, actually a DJ business for a number of years or from when I was about like 15, 16, it started till early 20s. And any way I could, if I can incorporate some creativity in, that was cool. But otherwise, if it was something that I could just do a service for, I was getting involved in that. And so there's a couple of steps from there to where I am now. But I, yeah, I feel like it was engraved in me, you know, uh, ingrained in me, sorry, at a young age. All right. Shoveling's driveways. I've been there, done that. I know how that is. Wet snow is the bane of my existence, but anything else is good, right? Damn slush. This isn't snow. Shoveling water. <laughs> DJ studio. What else? What were some of your other early projects that you can, you cut your teeth on? I worked. For, so I, I, after I cut that, I thought I was cutting enough lawns on my own. Then I worked for a landscaper uh, for a while. We would tunnel on. So I did landscaping for a couple of years. I worked uh, in uh, an automotive shop, just like cleaning up stuff. Uh, and then I worked at a car wash for probably probably the most amount of time before I got like a full-time job. I did that during high school and during college. So drying off cars. I remember one of these sticks out particularly because I was also doing the DJ at that time too. I DJed a father-daughter dance 
the night before it was a Friday and then I had to open at the car wash and the first person in, so I was like, I opened at like eight or whatever. So I was out, it was similar to your story where you burned the midnight oil. So I didn't get yeah. home until I won. After you, when it, you're done DJing, you got to clean everything up and unload and all that stuff. And the dad, I was like, oh, I was DJing your father daughter last night. <laughs> and now I'm drawing off your car. It's just, I appreciate anyone that has the hustle. And when I say that, you're just willing to do whatever you can to, to get by and stuff. And it was a lot of that. It was a lot of working and doing something as a 20 hour day is the norm. But it just, you fill up that time. I, I the Early on, actually, I, I heard a, it was a show called The Apprentice. I think it was The Apprentice. I don't know. It was some show where it was like business owners, da, da, da. Anyways, the point is I saw the person that won that speak and he, and what's the, the only thing I really remember from the talk is he goes, your day, if someone were to give you $24,000 every day, would you spend it or would you just let it just go to waste? He goes, you'd probably spend every single dollar. He goes, that's what your time is every day. You have 24 hours. So make the most of that. Don't let it go to waste because you're not going to get that day back. And so I really, I, I took that to heart and I just feel like I try to much as I can maximize each hour of every day. Yeah, I love that. You just, I have a doc that I, I track, I plan my day in and that. I, if, if you don't mind, I want to read this poem. It's one of my favorites on my daily reads. I've got a tab in this doc of things that I have to read every day mm -hmm. just to help prime my mind. And one of them is about time. It's, it's like 20, 30 seconds. Time is the inexplicable raw material of everything. With it, all is possible. Without it, nothing. The supply of time is truly a daily miracle, an affair genuinely astonishing when one examines it. You wake up in the morning and lo, your purse is magically filled with 24 hours of the unmanufactured tissue of the universe of your life. It is yours. It is the most precious of possessions. No one can take it from you. It is unstealable. And no one receives either more or less than you receive. In the realm of time, there no, is no aristocracy of wealth and no aristocracy of intellect. Genius is never rewarded by even an extra hour a day, and there is no punishment. Waste your infinitely precious commodity as much as you will, and the supply will never be withheld from you. Moreover, you cannot draw on the future. It's impossible to get into debt. You can only waste the passing moment. You cannot waste tomorrow. It is kept for you. You cannot waste the next hour. It is kept for you. I have said the affair was a miracle, is it not? You have to live on this 24 hours of daily time. Out of it, you have to spend health, pleasure, money, content, respect, and the evolution of your immortal soul. Its right use, its most effective use, is the matter of the highest urgency and of the most thrilling actuality. All depends on that. Your happiness, the elusive prize you are all clutching for, my friends, depends on that. If one cannot arrange that an income of 24 hours a day shall exactly cover all proper items of expenditure, one does muddle one's whole life indefinitely. We shall never have any more time. We have, and we have always had, all the time there is. And that's by Arnold Bennett, How to Live on 24 Hours a Day. I just love it. I think that's, that's yeah, that's exactly that's what you great. said. Yeah, if you had $24 every day and how you spent them, and some would have to be in rest, right? Rest recovery, but that's it. That's it. I don't understand how people are bored. And people that when they don't have, yeah, I just don't get, I just don't, if we need all shapes and sizes and diversity, but I just, maybe it's something you unlearn as you get older, right? You value, you realize we don't have that much time left. Nobody knows when we're going to go. And mm -hmm. especially now that I have kids now, it's like a race. Like I need to make sure things are good if I go. Cause yeah. So yep. I love that. So, all right. So what were some of your biggest challenges and struggles? Yeah. 
I would say the first related to the business, the first five years were really challenging. The first five. So right now we have around a little over 30 employees. First five years, we had no employees. I had one or two guys that I would hire, you know, on a contract, you know, like a, as a, a freelancer uh, on a somewhat regular basis, but it was just me. And I look at other businesses that have in five years, they have you know, 10 employees or 15 employees, or, but like, it was just me. And so there was a lot the, the the nature of the work I was doing was, was it was challenging because the market, which is primarily Catholic mm-hmm. organizations, often aren't spending money in, in video. It just wasn't. And so it was a bit of an uphill battle for that. I also didn't know. I went to school for business, which was just, I did that because it's a safe degree at the time. Right. It wasn't necessarily, I was passionate about business. So I didn't know filmmaking. So I was, it was, it was learning. It was also trying to cultivate uh, relationships, convince people to hire us. The first five years was really challenging in that way. Uh, after that, we got a little bit of, you know, steam going. We had a momentum. People then know who we were. So it wasn't as much of uh, that. But I, so the, the the middle five years were, were not saying not without their challenges, but I would say the, the past five years, part of that was COVID. Uh, part of it was just growing too. Once you, before it's, I'm doing everything. And now it's, I have people that report to me, that report to the other person that are doing different things and just different layers and mm. uh, transitioning from a one-stop shop in the business, they call them predators, producer, shooter, editor. So doing okay. everything to now being, <laughs> I'm managing people. And then, and so knowing how to communicate. And I just, even though I could go in and just change something, I don't want to do that because it's, I, I gotta, I gotta f- keep the structure that's there. So just understanding what it's like to be a CEO has been a challenge. It's been a, a real big challenge. And yeah, I can go on a lot of different stories in different areas, but that growth, the, the thing that I've learned is if you want to grow, you got to let go. And so you got to let go to things you've done before. You got to let go to your mindset on things. You got to let go of a lot if you want to grow. I love that. I love that. Can we talk about this? So to grow, you got to let go. Mm-hmm. It sounds counterintuitive. Why? How does that work? You want to hang on. If you, you could, the counter side of that is, you know, you want to grow something. You want to hang on to all the stuff you have. Like just say it's like a collection, not business, that you want to grow your collection of Lego. And so you want to hold on to all the Legos and stuff. So it makes sense if you're, if you have something tangible, when it comes to yourself as a person or as a business, you got to let go. You can't do everything to going back to the previous point of how many hours we have in the day. It's, you only have so many hours. So you, you got to let go of, control. And I think it's especially hard for business owners because their name's in the door, whether the yep. business is actually in their name or not, but it's them, the buck stops there. And so what's been really challenging is I've had to more times than I can remember, I have to email or call a client and apologize for something I didn't even do, but I act like I did. So right. we, we do something uh, as we should have. And so I'm calling, we missed a deadline, we, whatever the, the thing is. And I'm calling and I'm saying, I'm really sorry we didn't do this. I sh- we should have been better. I should have been better. And, and the reality is I wasn't even involved in that project. It was right. other people. And so you got to let go of, you got to let, that's okay. That's SOP when it comes to running a business. Other people are going to mess things up and, and you have to re- be responsible for that. And that comes down to then maybe the ownership I have is maybe I need to either hire better or have a better procedure or have other mm. you know, things. So letting go, you just got, there's so many areas you need to let go if you want to grow. Um, a, a quote that I, the let go, I, I don't know where that came from. I don't know if I made that up or not, but a quote that I didn't make up and I say quite often here, it's an old African proverb is, if you want to go fast, go alone. Yeah. If you go far, go together. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I know that. I love that one. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like those are connected, that letting go and, and, and going together because, yeah, there's just a lot of similarities. I think, like you say, there's a lot of tasks that have to get done. Something that I do with clients sometimes is we'll create an accountability chart of their business, of basically of their customer journey. So we map out the customer journey from in entirety, from first hearing about them to having been delivered, whatever they bought one, two, three, four times, depending on how that is, and asking for referrals type thing. And then under all that journey, we map out and itemize all the to-do items. Like, for example, if I, part of my business requires me to post in Facebook groups, just make some up. Someone has to write the post. Someone has to log into Facebook. Someone has to go to the group and post the group and respond to comments and chat with people. And so that we would try is in as much like banal brain injuring detail as we can try to detail all the things that we can think of under each kind of phase of the customer journey that have to get done in order for this machine to run. And then we try to group them into like categories. And then you create an accountability chart. You create your org chart out of that. So instead of just dreaming up an org chart, like there's me and my secretary, it's based on the tasks that people have to do. And then it's mm -hmm. like you say, you have to let go. If you want to be making a hundred dollars an hour, don't do $10 an hour work. That's the stuff you have to hire out. So as a business yep. owner, you can focus on growing, creating a machine that runs without you. I think that I have a friend, he sold his business for seven figures and he said he would never have done it if he hadn't had this conversation with an older gentleman who told him that every morning you wake up, all those things on your to-do list, you'll never sell your business as long as they're on your to-do list, not someone else's because oh, you'll good. be attached to the business. And that's, yeah, that's a really powerful thing. What would you recommend to anyone who's starting and struggling out or starting out and They're struggling with letting go? Just, yeah, just to grow both. Yeah. I would say first the struggle is normal because I think that's, I know early on, maybe it was just being young because I start. I'm 40 years old now. When I started, I was early twenties, not 22, three, four, something like that. Are years old now? I'm 40 years old oh, now. Oh, there yeah. we go. Okay. Okay. It's, yeah. it's quite, it's quite the beard. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I guess so. So I was maybe it was like early 20s. I feel like early 20s, a lot of people feel just entitled. Uh, so I know I'm probably offending people that are in their 20s, but that's just normal. I felt entitled and I feel like that's um, part of being in your early 20s. And so if you're struggling, that's normal. That's okay. That's part of the process. So it, first getting there and, and not fighting against that, because then you, if you do, you're the why me? Why I sacrifice all this. I'm not going out like my friends are going out on Saturday nights and I'm here stuck at work and we're not growing. Da, da, da. No, that's normal. That's welcome to owning a business. It's I didn't want to work a nine to five. So I started my own business. Now I get to work all the hours. And yeah, so that, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you don't get that, then go back to your nine to five. Okay. So we've established owning a business is hard and you're struggling, but you still want to grow. What's the thing? Obviously we're not going to get into tactically because it's different for every business, of course. Um, but talking to as many people as you can within reason is going to be, what do they say? Luck is when opportunity meets hard work. And so for, and I would consider most businesses, the more people, the more business opportunities you're going to have. And so putting yourself mm. in front of different people as much as you can, that makes sense that are obviously in line with potential yep. people. And really, I think the, the part of it is it's don't approach. There's been so many uh, like events that I've go to and you know, you'll see people and they're having their networking. Just make friends with people and without having any really literally no agenda. You're just there. You, you want to become friends because you think they're cool and they are cool. And you'll be surprised what sort of relationships come out of that. 
and knowing that a lot of times it's a longer game too. So you meet someone, I, I, I've been to events too, where it's like people are always trying to talk to the top people there and they never can, or they maybe talk to them for a minute and they think that's going to be their opportunity to get a lot of business and it's not. Yet the person that's two or three rows is easy to talk to. No one's talking to them. And then right. you, you cultivate that relationship and then fast forward two years, that person is at the at this position that you wanted to talk to the other some. And But it's a long game. It's not the short game. You're not going to be... I'm not saying there's not exceptions to this, but you're not going to get successful overnight. You're not going to just meet the right person. Then it's just going to skyrocket. That just doesn't happen. It's, mm. it's, it takes a long time. It's going to take a while to get there. And if you don't have the patience, then you're not going to get there. Yeah. I think that's great advice. Actually, I was talking to the team that I was helping last night, that if you only talk to 10 people, we've said that contacts can become contracts. And so depending on your business, if Maybe you sell ice cream and so you're not getting contracts, but depending on your business, the principle still is the same, where if you only talk to 10 people, then that's, that's the maximum number of clients you could have. If you talk to a hundred people, then that's the maximum number of clients you can have. Talk to a thousand. I talked to an old coaching client of mine. He, short story here. He had a successful online business. He had a coaching group. He was a dating advice guru, not in English, different language. And he had a coaching group. I think he had something like 350, 400 people paying monthly for high ticket coaching. And he had coaches that were helping him and stuff. Yeah, it was a good thing. But he had been investing in crypto and crypto was starting to really take off. And he, it was more his passion. And he managed to put a fund together with a million dollars. People had invested a million dollars in this fund. And he, it was the first legally registered crypto hedge fund in his country. And he basically shut down his business. And I had said to him, I'd said, Louie, don't keep them both going. But he was making so much money hand over fist. He thought, oh, no, I'm good. And he told all of his customers and let them all go and let his team go and his staff go. And fast forward 12 months, crypto's not doing so well anymore. And now he's looking at that business like I should really start things up again. So when we talked a couple of months ago, he was frustrated because he felt like he had it was all his team was gone. It was just him. And there's just so much to get done. I just can't get it all done. And I'm I got bills to pay. He's got three kids. He's got a fourth on the way now. And he's like, what am I going to do? And I went, Louie, why don't you call back all your old customers, apologize and invite them back? Yeah, that's a good idea. So I talked to him just a couple of days ago and I went, how'd it go? And he's, oh, it was great. I had 600 past customers to call. I, I contacted about 60, maybe 70 of them I got to talk to. And of those 50 of them are back with us. I was like, oh, that's great. He's not quite. I'm barely break even right now. I need more because I'm hiring coaches and stuff. And I went, okay, so you talked to 60, 70 out of 600. What's happening with the other 530 people? Mm -hmm. went, I called them. I, yeah, but did you reach them? No. And so I was like, I was like, Louie, you closed. I don't even know what percentage that is. 80, 90 something percent of the people you talked to. And you have a list of 530 more. And what you're on TikTok. What are you doing? Yeah. Get the phone. So those relate, like you said, those relationships, connecting with people. That's the story that he only connected with whatever, 60, 70. And that turned into 50 subscribers at a high monthly high ticket package price. And he just said, so I told him to call those other people to either you get a definitive no, or you get in touch with them and see what happens. So I really like that, that, that emphasis. So now. What do you think are some of the biggest mistakes that you see other entrepreneurs making, or even especially people trying to make money with their art? 
Yeah, making money, it's, I guess we want to classify it. So there's making money with your art, meaning you create something and then you hope people buy it, whether it's a one-time thing, like you create this painting and you want people to buy that specific painting, or you're creating t-shirts or whatever it is, art that goes on something that people can buy. And so that, to be honest, I'm not that familiar with how to make money in that way. There's all the other artists that make money or that are create as a service. And so that's what I could speak a little bit and maybe give some, some advice to, to anyone out there that let's say they're a graphic designer, they're, um, they're, they're a videographer, they're a filmmaker, uh, they're a musician, where it's, hey, they're talented at creating uh, art and they want to create it for people to get paid and such. My opinion might not be the most popular with everyone, but I don't, it, it's, it's my opinion. I, I think it rings true in the sense that if you're going to be in the service industry, if you're going to sell it, if you're creating a, a painting and you're selling that painting, yes, you're an artist and that's fine. But if you're going to say, hey, I'm available and I'll paint you something, yeah, you're still an artist, but first you're in the service business. So think of it the same way as if, if you're going to a restaurant and you're ordering a hamburger. If someone comes in and say, I want a hamburger and you bring them uh, a plate of pasta and you're like, I know you order the hamburger, but this pasta is way better than a hamburger. A person's like, I, it might be, but I have a taste for a hamburger and I ordered a hamburger. In mm-hmm. in the service industry as an artist, you have to respect that, that pecking order. And so I've just seen a lot of people that think how great the art is written for them. And they just, yeah, I know the client wants this, but this is, I, I think this is better for them. Mm-hmm. And you can certainly share your opinion and you, and we do this all the time. Hey, my professional opinion is I think you should go this way. However, if you still want this other thing, more than happy to do that for you. And that's the biggest, I've seen the biggest disconnect in, in, in artists that are trying to sell the, the, their services for business. Because at the end of the day, they're paying, whoever pays is in charge. And if the client is paying you, to, if you if they want purple pajamas and you're giving them blue pajamas, you're doing a disservice to them. And yeah, I, I say it's a slightly unpopular because I think a lot of artists feel that they're still right, but that's just not how the world works. And you're not going to get the client to come back. Like, let's say finally, they want purple pajamas, you can blue pajamas, you feel good, you think you convinced them. They're not coming back. People come back to someone that that listens to them, that get, they get what they want. And at the end of the day, if you're working for an, an organization or a company, they know their audience better than you do. We as artists, we think we know everything, but we don't. And, and so trusting, being obedient to the client, being obedient to the project can be a really challenging thing I've seen. And so it's a lesson I've had to learn many times, but I've also seen other people, I guess, not learn that lesson and then aren't able to continue on in, in their work. And then they feel that, ah, I'm just a starving artist. I can't survive. It's maybe, or maybe you just don't know how to listen to people. Right. <laughs> so, that makes sense. We, I, we like to say on the show that problems are markets, not demographics. And what that means is that if a, there's a problem, we'll just make a simple example. I, I need a job. Okay. That's the problem. And around that problem exists like different stereotypes. So just like you would have a lake and a lot of different kinds of birds and some birds eat fruits and berries, some birds eat nuts and insects, some birds eat fish, some birds eat other birds. And so here you've got your problem and around it, you've got homeless people that need jobs and you have high powered CEOs that are looking for jobs. And it's the same problem, but two different desired experiences and two different capacities to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And so what you really have to do is you have to make sure you're delivering to solve that problem. And so that, yeah, what you're describing almost sounds like Ikigai. Ikigai is a Japanese term. It's the intersection of there's four, but I only ever remember three. It's like your passion 
you're, what you're passionate about, what you're good at, and what people will pay you for. Mm-hmm. Where those things intersect, that's your ikigai. That's what you can dedicate your life to and as a career and a profession. And I think that's like we're saying, if you can find a way to serve and create that art. Now, what are some of the skills and behaviors that you think are most important? You already talked about one, listening and understanding that you're there to deliver for the client and they're giving you money. What are some other mission critical skills and behaviors? I would say soft skills, emotional intelligence, it can't be overstated. And just, it, it does tie into listening a little bit, but being able to, you'd be surprised how many people don't know how to read the room mm. where something's happening and they just, they're not, they're just not reading the room. And so you got to be able to read the room at all times. And whether that's you're onboarding a client or whether you're working with them and knowing when the right time to, to give feedback or not give feedback or uh, <laughs> just understanding stuff. Yeah, uh, that's important. I think timeliness is good. I think probably something that plagues most artists, if I can stereotype most artists, we're always late. <laughs> and I'm guilty of that. So I raised my hand first. Artists are generally late. And so if you can, uh, and if you're generally, if someone's hiring you, an artist to do something, they're probably more business-minded, which means that they're not late. And so being on time <laughs> is very important. And so that yeah. can be a point of contention. Being on time is really, it's critical to, to, keep a relationship going because the best part or not the best part, which I think it's, you want to get to when you're running a business is having reoccurring clients. It's hard. I don't know what the number is, but getting a new client versus a returning client, it's way easier with the returning clients. And so for a long time with our business, like most of and, and still to this day, most of our work is with reoccurring clients. We certainly get new clients from time to time and, right. and I guess somewhat regularly, but most of our work is with reoccurring and it just, it makes the process a lot easier. But the only way you get reoccurring clients is you keep them happy and ways to keep them happy is you deliver things on time, mm-hmm. you're good to work with and you're fair with your pricing. Because if you're not fair with your pricing, whatever fair looks like, they're certainly not going to come back. And, and I guess the last trait would just be honesty, which I feel like is like everyone would agree. Yeah, it could be honest, but being honest, I'll give you an example. So I, we worked, with, I worked with this one contractor. I've been working with him exclusively for a number of years now. And I've worked with other contractors before that. And I continue to go back to him because he is an honest man. And, and, and honest in the sense of he he did some work for me where uh, he had to remove a wall, put a floor in about a year later the floor was a little uneven. And I don't know if that was because he did the job wasn't properly done or because something happened, the floor moves, or I don't know. He came, I, I told him about the problem. He came back, he fixed it without charging me anything. That's an honest person. And knowing whether if you mess up, let's say there's an issue that comes up. A common thing in filmmaking is uh, a camera operator could hit, forget to hit record and then they'll blame yeah. it on something else. Oh, uh, let's do another take. I don't think the talent got it just right. Or, or yeah. I don't know, I think there was an issue with the memory card. Really, they didn't hit record on the camera. And so owning mistakes and, and being honest in that goes a long way. When you run a business, there's also, you see a lot of mistakes. Some you, yes. you make yourself and some other people make. And what I always appreciate when I tell anyone is own your mistakes. So if you mess yeah. something up, I'll yeah. be way less upset if you just tell me, you come, hey, yep, I did this and I'm sorry. Yep. That goes way longer. I think you get how you handle a mistake is, is more important than making or if you yeah. made the mistake or not. Yeah, I think that's really valid. Because people want to know, people want to know what the, the real situation is. How many times have we watched a movie where the main character just doesn't just spill the beans on everything? And that's why there's a two-hour movie. If they had just told them that it was the colonel in the kitchen with the candlestick, 
movie would have been over in the first 10 minutes, but they just, they lied. They didn't share that. And that might make good film and stories to watch, but we hate it in real life. We want to know all the details, right? Yes. And to speak to what you talked about, I love that you said emotional intelligence. So I think I maybe already told you, we spent a considerable amount of money to hire research assistants and go through all the academic literature on business success. And we uncovered mm. eight critical success factors and they are self-efficacy, market intelligence, marketing, strategic planning, marketing strategy, sales strategy and skill, money management, business operations, and business intelligence. These are the umbrella categories and everything goes into this, your cybersecurity, your meeting rhythms, your HR and legal compliance, they all have their spot, but self-efficacy, because we looked at all the pieces, self-efficacy is personality traits, leadership skills, and personal disciplines. And I you hear a lot of people talk about leadership training and it always bugged me because I felt like it was like the word branding, like I'm a brand marketer. So I'm a results-based performer. Like I, nothing in my life has ever been participation awards. Like I was adopted as a kid. I, my whole life has been like, like sink or swim and leadership. Hey, people like, Oh, leadership, this, this, it's like branding. Like you go, Oh, the brand, the brand just got to get out there more. Like, did you close the deal or not? Did you get the leads or no? Right. And leadership According to our research, it is self-awareness, communication, cooperation skills, emotional intelligence skills, and adaptability, right? That's what really makes makes the leadership. And so that emotional intelligence, I think, is important because self-efficacy is your ability to accomplish things with yourself, but it also means with other people, through mm -hmm. other people, by being able to communicate and cooperate and collaborate, right? So I think that just you just really hit the nail on the head. Now, where do you think things are going? Because there's been a lot of new technology. There's AIs on the horizon, geopolitically, the world up and down. There's a lot of cultural, like around the world, there's pushing and pulling between moral values and religious values and cultural values. Where do you see things going in five, 10, 15 years, as far as like what you're thinking for yourself and your business and your staff and your clients? It's, you can look at the world and, and it could look like it's falling apart, which there's good reason why people could see that in the sense of, oh my gosh, there's so many things changing, whether it's technology and, and, and politically and morally, all that stuff. And I, I think it's important to look at all the things going on and what are the positives, positives, because the world's always, I'm Catholic and we're in a, my view of the world is yes, we're in a fallen world. Things aren't going to be perfect. They never were perfect. They're not going to be perfect. Not in this, in this life. We, that's what we hope for the next. So I try to not focus so much on where things are could go wrong. I ter Terminator is probably my favorite movie. Terminator <laughs> 2 is, is probably my And so you look at what AI is doing and, and Skynet, you're like, this could, or, or the Matrix is, is high up there too, not quite as Terminator. Yeah. You're like, this looks like we're heading right for Terminator or the Matrix. I don't know which one, you know, yeah. maybe, or we're heading for more like the Jetsons where it's they're just they're or Star Wars rather probably where it's not Star Wars. I, obviously we're all, this is all fictitious stuff, but technology is very advanced in that. And it's not the enemy. There's people are still the enemy. <laughs> no, it's not the people in, in Star Wars, even in, was it? I saw a, a meme about this, even in a galaxy far away, a long time ago in a galaxy far away, the most evil thing in the galaxy was still a politician. <laughs> right. Right. Ah, ah, sorry. I like that. I like that. I digress. I, I digress. Yeah. It's not the technology. It's the politician. People, no matter where you are, there's people, there's good people and there's bad people. And it's just the nature of it. And so where I look at things are going specifically in my line of field, which is the filmmaking content creation world. There's certainly things, some jobs that are going to be AI will take over in some of that stuff. 
uh, whether it's in the, the creation of stuff or the editing portion. The one thing that I, I think is going to be really hard for it to, to go to the wayside is the documentation. Yes, you could type in anything you want in mid-journey and it'll create whatever that is. But if there's an event and you want that event captured, that needs to be done by a a body, in theory, a robot can do that and stuff, but the capture of that and the creation in that way, I think that's going to take a long time for that to, to go to the wayside. Ideas, storytelling, I think has, has, has a good spot. And I think it's also going, I'm curious where the sort of Apple vision is going to land uh, because Oculus or, or Meta uh, Quest has been out for a little bit, which is very interesting and very fun to be in that space. And so creating content in that space is cool. And if, I think if the Apple Vision takes off, you'll see a lot more. That's the essentially 3D VR, or so stereoscopic VR stuff, which we've dabbled in a little bit, but it's, it's a lot to take in. So I think you'll see more immersive content. And then outside of that, when you look at the political or the moral stuff, I don't know. I, I have different thoughts and sometimes I, I think they're more negative and sometimes I'm more optimistic. <laughs> but I think... There's a, what's the quote? It's something about, if you want to change the world, start at home or something. Yeah, or, yeah. Uh, take care of yourself so you can be sure there's at least one less scoundrel in the world. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I never heard that one. That's good. So I don't know. I, I have very little control on how the world will, will change in different ways, but I know I could affect myself, hmm. my wife and my kids and my extended family. And so I just try to keep my focus on that rather than worrying about all the other things going on uh, in, in how much or, or how little it's going to impact me. Because I think a lot of time can get lost, precious time, as we talked about at the beginning, that you you don't get back just by worrying about the potential of certain things. So I got enough work in front of me to, to focus on what I can do. And I think some of the, the technologies are pretty interesting. I'm excited um, about what uh, potentials that can do in, in to streamline. I think if you want to look at that stuff on a positive, it's making some things easier and giving new opportunities to things that don't exist anymore. Yeah, I'm excited to see where things land. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I like to use the analogy of accountants and a calculator. Before accountants and bookkeepers used to have to do the math themselves, and then calculators came out, and the productive ones became more productive, and the non-productive ones lost their excuse for why it took them two days to do two plus two equals four. And we're seeing that again, which almost brings it back to Ikigai. Like, you really got to know and be love what you're doing so you can be good at it. Because markets are, I, I, like, I like this a lot. It comes from Greg Glassman. Markets are unknown and unknowable. Meaning if I asked you today, how many people were in market for a car, you could look at indicators, search traffic stuff, but ultimately it's unknown and unknowable because it fluctuates and changes all the time. But everybody can acknowledge excellence. Everybody can acknowledge and recognize excellence. So if you just instead focus on solving a problem and being the most excellent at solving that problem, that can see you through good times and bad, right? And that's a really good guiding light. And so again, as these technologies come out, as long as we focus on just being excellent at solving whatever the problem we're solving is, changes will will happen, sure. But that's like the best North Star I think you can have. Yeah. Can we talk about content creation? I probably should have asked you a lot more about this, but sure. we talk about content creation, creating content that engages people. Are there any tips? What do you not do? That might be a good place to start. Sure. Creating content, you want to talk mostly on like uh, video or motion as opposed to like still content or yeah, what would give me a little shape and then I'll go right into that. I think in today's day and age with social media and the power, the leverage that we have with software code, and it's such a powerful platform. This interview, like I still get downloads from interviews I did in 2015. 
So this mm. is an hour that we're spending together that's in incredibly powerful because we're making a time capsule basically in time and talking about things that are timeless. So when you are trying to almost nurture and feed an audience, I guess, with some content, it almost would be, I think, static because as you release stuff over time, you still maybe have a story arc to what you're saying. What are, are there any guiding principles that you believe in and that have to be followed? Is there, in video, is there a pacing? Should a video, like every so many frames, something needs to move or happen? Or are there certain key, obviously every story needs to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. I'm just curious to know what comes off the top of your head in terms of the fundamentals of telling great stories in, in compelling and engaging ways. Yeah, I would say a, a big role, and it's not necessarily storytelling, but just creating videos is you always want the viewer to, when the video is done, you want them to want more, not be wondering when it's going to be over. And sometimes when I'm watching a draft or something and I'm like, if I'm looking at the time of either my watch or on the time code of, of the video, I'm like, yeah, that's not a good sign. And so we, there's a phrase in filmmaking called killing your darlings. And so you got to, that's actually, if you look at, well, DVDs aren't really that popular anymore, but if you buy like the, the digital download and there's extra features, deleted scenes is killing your darling. So at some point, like they didn't, they didn't shoot that scene being like, we're going to shoot behind, or we're going to shoot extra scenes just for the extras. No, right. they wrote the story. Because in filmmaking, you say a film is made three times in pre-production. So before you start rolling cameras in production. So when you're filming and then post-production during the edit. So in the first three times or the first two times in pre-production, in the writing, and then in production, they thought that scene was critical to have because every film has its strict budget and you want to maximize that. And so you get into the edit and you go, you know what? That just doesn't work. And it's easy to just as a casual viewer to watch bonus features and extra scenes and be like, oh yeah, okay. not think much of it. It's a different story when you're actually making something because to make anything, you got to bleed. I don't mean physically. I just mean emotionally. You, you're putting well, so much physically too. <laughs> sometimes physically too. Yeah. That is, that does occur, but you put so much into it. And so when you get to the edit and you'd be like, I work so hard to, especially if you're a small, if you're a bigger crew and a bigger team, it's a little easier because you didn't bleed quite as much. It was, it was a collective energy, but if you're a small creator and you you worked really hard let's just say it was just you maybe one other person and for two days you shot the scene and, and constructed it and then you get into the edit and you go oh yeah i don't think it works but i really love it i know we, and we worked really hard for it that's not an excuse it has to add to the film everything is intentional actually one a big tip is the viewers gonna assume everything they're watching you intended a hundred percent they're not gonna think that if it's raining that if you go to film something and it's raining that day they're going to assume that's intentional. You wanted it to rain because you could have chosen to film a different day. Maybe you didn't have the option. That's all that was there. But that's what the viewer thinks. That. That. Yeah. There's a really great, there was a YouTube channel. I think it still exists. I don't think they still upload, but it's called Every Frame of Painting. And they do, Every Frame of Painting is the is same from filmmaking as well, where every frame you have is a, uh, like a, in the video or in the film should be like a painting. It should be composed with the lighting and the composition and all that stuff as if it was a painting. So that's what the YouTube channel is called. But anyways, they, they did one on Jackie Chan, who I love. Jackie Chan just, just I think, is a brilliant filmmaker and stunt person and just all that stuff. He does all his own stunts famously. Right. And in the interview in the YouTube series, he talked about how sometimes he'll spend days and weeks on the same scene to get it right. And he goes... Because when the person's watching the movie, you're not going to go to every theater and explain, oh, this scene's not good because I, it was great that day. They were a little tired. And so get it right because it's going to live on forever. 
And that's just, they're going to assume what's there was how you wanted it, even if it's not. I don't know. I, I digress a little bit. I went in a bunch of different No, I think that's a really important thing. It's nobody cares. Work harder. Nobody cares. Work, work harder. And, and for them, it's about the end result. They don't care. Yeah. Work harder. It's the, what is it? Uh, a friend once said, when you, when someone promises you mo- the moon and then gives you a, a helicopter ride, it was great. <laughs> I went up, I was high up, oh, but I didn't touch moon rocks. I call it getting your hair, uh, asking for a haircut, getting your shoe shine, bro. That's great. You <laughs> did such a good job on my shoes. My hair's still not cut. Yeah. And that's, yeah. And then we live in a world of results. And so it's about the end result. And I love to talk about killing your darlings. I think that's even a creative process. Whenever someone's stuck, you remove your favorite pieces and begin again and see yeah. how that, see what happens there. I think that's, there's a lot of lessons in life to this because this is, it's not even just a film with a business. Somebody may have an ideal. I worked with a client. He was so committed to getting 10,000 people paying him $10 a month. And I just was like, do you know how many sales that's going to take? We're going to have to spend on advertising. You just don't have the following for that right now. Let's. And we went the opposite way and we sold the most expensive stuff we could. And he made a bunch of money and he thought it was brilliant. And then it somehow became his idea, which Rob, you've been so forthcoming. I've got a couple pages of notes. This has been really useful, really powerful. Is there anything I haven't asked you that I should have asked you? No, I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoy this. It's just fun. Just to, you, have, you yourself have so much experience and knowledge and wisdom. So it's really cool just sharing a little bit that I know. And then you had, you had so much depth and wisdom to it. Um, I'm just grateful. And I'm sure we can keep talking for, for days if we had the opportunity. Yeah. But this is it's been a blast. And I just appreciate all the all that you've shared with me. Yeah, thanks, man. If people want to find reach you and find out more, they, should they go to spiritjuicestudios.com? Should they look you up on LinkedIn? What what are? Yeah, the company website, spiritjuicestudios.com. I'm on Instagram. I try to post it pretty regularly. So I'm just at Rob Kazmark, R-O-B-K-A-C-Z-M-A-R-K. From there, yeah. But I'm on all Facebook, LinkedIn, all, right. all that stuff. So look right. me up on Instagram and you can find, go from there. Yeah, okay. So go check out spiritjuicestudios.com, S-P-I-R-I-T. J-U-I-C-E-S-T-U-D-I-O-S, spiritjuicestudios.com, or go find them on social media, R-O-B-K-A-C-Z-M-A-R-K, Kazmark, with the C silent, not Jazzmark, but it does sound like, (laughs) thank you so much for coming, it's been an honor and a pleasure knowing you have your own family, your own staff, your own customers, your own following, thank you for coming and sharing with me and mine. Thank you, It's, uh, it's an honor and I appreciate the opportunity.